Well, that was more than special music. That was a testimony, wasn't it? And Steve, you've got me all messed up with that, bud. I ought to have you come up here and sing something else. Well, today we continue our study in the book of James, and James has come again to the subject of wisdom. And I suppose that all of us, to some degree at least, have some wisdom. In fact, I received this from um, Vicki Young. It's titled, The Wisdom of Larry the Cable Guy. I looked at that and thought, well, who would have thunk it? But he does have a certain amount of wisdom. He says, a day without sunshine is like night. Ninety-nine percent of all lawyers give the rest a bad name. Remember, half the people you know are below average. And he who laughs last thinks slowest. Someone said that knowledge is the ability to tear things apart to understand them, and wisdom is the ability to put them back together again. As we come to chapter number 3, in the first 12 verses there, James is saying that wisdom affects our talk, our speech. And then in verses 13 through 18, he says that wisdom affects our walk, our behavior. So take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, James begins in these verses by saying there are two sources for wisdom. First of all, there is worldly wisdom. He refers to it in verse 15. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. So as he describes the wisdom that is from the earth, that is worldly, he said that it is an earthly wisdom. In other words, it comes from experience. Now, we think about the knowledge that we have and that there has been more information given to us in the last, in the last five years than there was in the previous 5,000 years. That information doubles every four years. And sometimes we are absolutely astounded by the wisdom of children, except for this morning. We are normally astounded by the wisdom of children. Someone sent me this, and it says, uh, and it, it lists some of the sayings or some of the things that children said. 
Patrick, age 10, said, never trust a dog to watch your food. Well, that carries a certain wisdom with it. Michael, age 14, said, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer. <laughs> Randy, age 9, said, stay away from prunes. I don't know what that means, where that came from, but that was his wisdom. Eileen, age 8, says, never try to baptize a cat. So that is worldly wisdom, and worldly wisdom can get us into trouble, as it did Adam and Eve when they disobeyed the Lord and ate of the forbidden fruit. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, conventional wisdom would say that's the thing to do, to eat of this forbidden fruit. After all, it had an appeal to the eye. It was good for food. It would make one wise. And so it seems then, as far as earthly wisdom is concerned, that would be the thing to do, and yet we know that it was not. In Genesis chapter 12, there was a drought in Canaan, and conventional wisdom would agree with Abraham, who decided the thing to do is to leave Canaan and go down to Egypt, and yet that was not the thing to do. You see, worldly wisdom can get us into trouble, and we need to understand that, that the wisdom of this world, though it might seem reasonable, oftentimes will get us into trouble. For instance, in recent days we have been told that, that in the housing market we probably should buy more house than we could actually afford, because after all, houses are going up, real estate is going up, so we're going to make money. Well, it didn't turn out so good. A few years ago, I think it was back in the 1960s, we decided, well, America is a pluralistic society, so we need to level the playing field here. So let's do away with all references to God in the education system and so forth in the public arena. So we removed prayer, we removed God, we removed all of that from the public arena. And as Dr. Phil would say, and how's that working out for you? It's not working too well. So whenever we, we look at conventional wisdom, things that seem to make sense, oftentimes they do not. So James then says that this wisdom, the wisdom of the world, is earthly. It comes from our experience. He also says that it is natural. The word natural that is used simply means unspiritual. In other words, it is not from God. Max Born was a friend of Albert Einstein and said, I'd be happier if we had scientists with less brains and more wisdom. General Omar Bradley said, the world has achieved brilliance without wisdom. So as James then describes worldly wisdom, he says that it's earthly, it comes from our experience. It's natural, it is not spiritual. And then he says it's demonic. Well, if it doesn't come from God, then it has to be demonic, and that is what James says. So, the, the first source of wisdom, then, is worldly. The second source of wisdom is heavenly. And so, in verse number 17, but the wisdom from above. So, this is the other source of wisdom, not from the world, but this wisdom comes from God. How do we receive it? 
Well, first of all, by receiving the Son of God because He is the wisdom of God. The Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. So if you want heavenly wisdom, if you want the wisdom that comes from above, it comes when we receive Jesus who is the wisdom of God, and it comes as we study and pour ourselves into the Word of God. Now here's the concern that I have, in part at least. As we are looking for wisdom today, we look to so many sources other than the Word of God. We look to magazines, we look to Oprah, we look to books, we look to all of these. Folks, let me say something to you. If you are a young parent and you have young children and you're wanting to know how to raise your children, read Proverbs. Just turn to the Word of God. If we are going to have the wisdom that is from above, then we receive Christ who is the wisdom of God. We read the Word of God and we request wisdom from God. In chapter 1, verse number 5, James says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if you want this wisdom that is not of this world that comes from God, the Bible says, ask God for it. It's interesting to me that in the earlier days of our country, that's exactly what we did when we wanted wisdom. In fact, John Harvard, the founder of Harvard University, understood that. He said, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main ends of his life and studies. John Harvard. To know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all knowledge and learning, and see that the Lord only giveth wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? James says there are two sources. There is worldly wisdom. And then there is heavenly wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God. Now, he gives evidence as to the source of our wisdom. First of all, he describes false wisdom in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. He says, as he describes this wisdom, the wisdom of the world, false wisdom, he mentions bitter jealousy. Now, in the King James Version, it translates that envying. There is a difference between envy and jealousy. Envy means that I, I don't want you to have what you have. It's not necessarily that I want it. I just don't want you to have it. That's envy. Jealousy, on the other hand, is that I want to keep what I have. And so it is an attempt then to hang on to what I have. So he mentions bitter jealousy, that spirit that I don't want you to have what you have, but I want to keep what I have. And then he mentions selfish ambition. Now, the word ambition that is used here has no bad connotation, but it is interesting in its history. You see, the word that is used originally referred to a seamstress who had been hired, and so it meant spending for hire. So the word ambition originally referred to someone who was a seamstress who was hired to sew. Then it evolved from there to mean to work for pay. 
Barclay said it came to mean any work done for pay, then it came to mean the kind of work done solely for what could be done out of, gotten out of it. So the word originally referred to a woman who was a seamstress who was hired to sew, and then it was expanded from there to refer to any work that was done for pay, and then it went from there to speak of politics. Barclay continued, then it entered politics and came to mean that selfish ambition which was out for self and nothing else and was ready to use any means to gain its end. So it refers then to anyone who would do anything to get what they wanted. That's what the word means. So this wisdom then that comes to us from the world speaks or is described as someone who is willing to do anything to get what they wanted. And then he uses the word arrogant. The word arrogant that is used is also interesting because it means to boast over wrong. That seems strange to me. It's someone who boasts about the wrong that they do. And yet we see it routinely today, people boasting about the wrong they've done. I have seen prostitutes interviewed on television who boasted about what they did. I saw a man on television last night who was being interviewed or interrogated because of a crime, and he was boasting about the people he had killed. That's what this word means. The word arrogant that is used means to boast about wrong that a person has done. And then he says, and therefore lie against the truth. So we boast then about what we have done that is wrong and we lie against the truth because we do not accept the truth of God's word. So we boast about our wrong, pushing out the word of God or twisting the word of God, which is what Peter said in 2 Peter 3. As also in all his letters, speaking of Paul, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. So he describes false wisdom, this wisdom of the world. Then he describes true wisdom. Verse number 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. The word gentleness that is used there refers to a wild animal that has been domesticated. It means power under control. A wild animal that has been domesticated. It was, it was a philosopher's word. In fact, it was a word that was used to refer to Plato. Because Plato could dialogue with his students, he could argue with his students, but he never got angry as a result of it. It was a physician's word, and it spoke of the physician's gentle demeanor. Carl Sandburg referred to Abraham Lincoln as a man of velvet steel. That's the picture of this word, velvet steel. He says gentleness. And then he says in verse number 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure. Barclay said its root meaning is pure enough to approach the gods. Expositor's Bible commentary says it is the opposite of the self-seeking attitude. Folks, true wisdom, wisdom from above, presents within us a desire for purity. If you have the wisdom of God residing in you, 
You have a desire for purity in your heart. You want to be pure. That's what he says about this wisdom, that it is pure. And then he says in verse 17 that it is peaceable. That the wisdom of God is peaceable. There is peace with God. There is peace with man. Hebrews 12:14 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Now, that does not mean peace at any price. It does not speak of a peace that is the result of compromise, but it speaks about a peace that is the result of holiness. That we are at peace because of holiness. Verse number 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. Now, this is a different word than the word in verse number 13. Gentleness is used there. This is a different word that is used in verse number 17. In fact, we do not have an English word that is the equivalent of this word. This word means knowing when to give in. Knowing when to quit. Knowing when to give in. Now, you think about that in terms of wisdom. It means knowing when to give in. If you are a husband and you've been in an argument with your wife, and you have the wisdom of God, that's your word. Knowing when to quit, knowing when to give in. Matthew Arnold translates it sweet reasonableness. And then in verse number 17, he uses the word reasonable, and it has two basic meanings. First of all, it means ready to obey. In other words, when you hear God, you don't just hear God, but you're ready to obey God. Barclay said it means that the truly wise man is forever ready to obey him when God's voice comes to him. The wisdom from above, the wisdom of God, means then in part that you are ready to obey God when you hear from God. When God tells you something, you're ready to obey him. It also means easy to persuade. A commentary said not in the sense of being pliable and weak but in the sense of not being stubborn. True wisdom is not rigid, but is willing to listen and skilled in knowing when wisely to yield. I think a great example of that is in Genesis chapter 13, and you recall uh, that Abraham and Lot were trying to decide which way they were going to go because they had so much cattle and so many people that the land couldn't hold them, and they were trying to decide which way to go. And Abraham said to Lot, his nephew, he said, if you want to go to the right, then I'll go to the left. If you want to go to the left, then I'll go to the right. That's what that word means, and that's an example of that. Reasonable, easy to persuade. And then he mentions in verse number 17, mercy and good fruits. Now, mercy is the attitude of wisdom. Good fruits is the action of wisdom. So then, when I have the wisdom of God, then I have an attitude of mercy, and the action is good fruits. good example of that would be the story of the Good Samaritan. You recall the story that uh, there was a man who was left uh, beaten up and robbed and so forth, left alongside the road. The priest came by, saw him, continued on his way. The Levite came by, saw him, continued on his way. The Good Samaritan came, saw him. First of all, he had the attitude... And then he had the action. He had the attitude of peace, and then he had the action of good fruits, or mercy and good fruits. And then in verse 17, he says that the wisdom from from God is unwavering. I think that's interesting. 
Because worldly wisdom is, is always wavering, isn't it? I, I was thinking uh, about the changes that we're making in our society. We did, just did this last week, you know, as to whether or not we sell alcohol on Sundays. We talk about the blue laws, vote on those, all those things. And so I, I had a reporter to call me that I didn't respond to on that because I, I think there's a deeper thing, and it's this. What do we want our country to be? What do we want our city to be? When it was established, it was established on the things of God. We want, our, we want our community to be a godly community. But then as time has gone by, this all wavers. You know, I mean, it changes, it evolves, and it's different. I remember whenever we used, our commitment was that we protected life because we believed it to be sacred. And then as time goes by, we no longer protect it because it's sacred, because we don't necessarily believe in sacredness. And now then we protect life if it is convenient. So it's always changing, but he says that the wisdom of God is unwavering. Why is that? Because God is not politically correct. If it comes from God, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it's not that God is wavering, therefore his wisdom is not wavering. Worldly wisdom wavers, but not heavenly wisdom. And then in verse number 17, he says, without hypocrisy. As I read that, I was thinking about Governor Spitzer, who was elected because he was tough on crime, and then he resigned because he was involved in crime. Now, that's hypocrisy. If we say one thing, that's what we are to do. So, the evidence of the source of our wisdom. Different sources, different outcomes. The outcome of worldly wisdom, verse number 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now, listen with me here. He is saying that here is the outcome of worldly wisdom, disorder, division. Barclay said, instead of bringing people together, it drives them apart. Instead of producing peace, it produces strife. There is a kind of person who is undoubtedly clever with acute brain and skillful tongue, but his effect, nevertheless, in any committee, in any church, in any group, is to cause trouble and to disturb personal relationships. It is a sobering thing to remember that the wisdom he possesses is devilish rather than divine. A person who, who is always creating division, a person who is always trying to create trouble within the congregation especially. You need to understand that person is devilish, that his wisdom is not from God. It is devilish. And then he said, in every evil thing, and the word evil means worthless, of no account. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says, Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. Now folks, the works that we do, the behavior of our lives, one day is going to be revealed. And some of our works, he says, are wood, hay, stubble. They're going to burn up. Some of our works are from God. Their gold, precious metals, and so forth, and they are going to remain. But he says that 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 is from the world is evil, it is worthless. Heavenly wisdom, verse 18, 
and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Heavenly wisdom brings about peace. If, if your wisdom, the wisdom that you have, comes from God, then it brings with it peace. Isn't that what we want? We want, first of all, peace with God. And the only way that we can have peace with God is through Jesus Christ. Because He paid for all of our sins and gives us, therefore, peace. So when we have Jesus, we have the peace of God that gives us peace with God. And then when I have Jesus, if my vertical relationship is correct, then I can have a horizontal relationship that is correct. And I cannot have a vertical relationship that is correct and a horizontal relationship that is not correct. In other words, I can't be wrong with you and right with God. It's both. That is peace. When my wisdom comes from God, the wisdom that God gives, the wisdom that is from above, the Bible says the result is peace. So let me conclude by asking you a question. In verses 1 through 12, he says that wisdom influences, affects our talk, the way we talk. What does your talk say about you? In verses through eight, 13 through 18, he says that wisdom influences or affects our walk, our behavior. So, what does your behavior say about you? What does your walk and your talk say about you? Are you walking in heavenly wisdom or are you living in worldly wisdom? Because it is only heavenly wisdom that will bring you peace. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your instruction. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this and understand that a part of wisdom is a a readiness to obey you, that at this invitation time we'll be ready to obey you. I pray, Father, for any person in whom to whom you are speaking, that today they would commit themselves to you and to your will, whatever it is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a moment we're going to stand and the choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to do what God's leading you to do. Whatever that is, if it's to join the church, our doors are open. If it's to trust Christ, I urge you to give your heart to Jesus. Stand with me, please. As we stand and sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.